Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley and welcome to our first Viewfinder podcast of 2020. On this week's show, my guest is writer-director Lucas Kendall, who recently created the suspenseful and thought-provoking sci-fi short film called Skyfighter. You can see the film exclusively on the YouTube channel Dust, and there are plans for it to eventually become a feature-length project. Lucas is also the founder of FilmScore Monthly, full disclosure I happen to write for that magazine, and he has produced hundreds of acclaimed film and TV soundtrack albums over the years. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Now, what is Skyfighter about? It's about two pilots in a spaceship fighting a, a future space war. And uh, as we start the short film, one of them wakes up on the deck of the ship not remembering what's going on, and the other one tries to tell him what's going on, and he's not sure if he can believe her or believe the other evidence that, uh, that he sees around the ship and the little memory that he regains. You've been a huge fan of sci-fi action movies and TV series like Battlestar Galactica, the Star Wars and Star Trek franchises, and Robotech. You've also added a surreal edge to Skyfighter in the sense that it has a lot in common with socially conscious sci-fi thrillers such as Black Mirror and The Twilight Zone. Discuss how all that influenced the approach you took to writing and developing the concept for Skyfighter as well as the story told in the film. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's where my heart is. It's, it's uh, the, the stuff I grew up loving. And I was always a spaceship junkie. So I wanted to do something that, uh, yeah, that reminded me of that world and reminded me of um, the fun and joy of being a kid and being exposed to those types of shows and movies. And at the same time, try to do something that was a little more sophisticated and, and grown up that might reflect more of what, what I'm interested in now. While you were running Film School Monthly, you actively spent time writing screenplays and coming up with ideas for films, one of them being Lucky Bastard. In what ways did the years you spent developing your craft as a screenwriter and filmmaker prepare you for doing Skyfighter? Well, I was just writing, and uh, I didn't direct Lucky Bastard. That was I wrote it with a friend of mine, and he directed it, but we produced it together. But I learned a lot from him watching him direct it. Uh, I think I've I've just been you just have to practice. It's a, it's very difficult to to teach yourself screenwriting because it's it's sort of like anti-writing and that there's actually not a lot of words to it and the craft and the thought comes in the structure and in in just the rules of drama and the rules of film drama and trying to make things simpler and and better. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a very hard discipline, and it took a long time for me just writing draft after draft of different ideas, most of which never went anywhere. But you gradually just teach yourself the discipline to avoid adding too many ideas and to focus on the best idea and then to dig as deep as you can into that, that one or two uh, ideas per movie. You don't, you don't want too many ideas. It gets cluttered. When did you start working on the script for Skyfighter? And since you originally wrote it as a feature film, how did you ultimately whittle down the script to become a proof of concept short film? Well, I'll tell you the whole story. So I wrote it, I wrote the first version of the feature, or I started writing the feature in 2015. And I thought that I want to be a filmmaker and I want to direct and I need something that's a low budget uh, genre movie. 
that would make sense for a first feature. So I thought, okay, let me just do two people in one set and really try and keep the cost down and everything outside the set is just going to be computer graphics anyway. So I wrote it and I had some other things happen where I ended up with a briefly with a management company based on another project that I was working on. And I said, I really want to uh, direct this. And they said, yeah, that's great. And then as soon as I signed with them, they said, <laughs> they sort of pulled a bait and switch and said, look, you, you know, you've never directed, you've never really written anything successful. And in order for us to get this made with you directing, you're really going to need some sort of demo reel. So why don't you just shoot a scene from the feature script to show that you can direct? And that was immediately massively problematic because you, to make the feature, you only need one set. But to make a short film, you still need that one set. So uh, as a feature budget, it's very cheap. But as a short film budget, it's very expensive. And I tried to explain this to them. And they were completely not interested in my, uh, my problem. So I just sort of shelved it for a couple of years. And then I realized that I, I really had to do it. And I raised some money for my former career fan base uh, on Indiegogo enough so that we could not build the set, but that we could rent a spaceship set and dress it the way we wanted and do all the special effects. Now, in the course of doing that, there was not a single scene from the feature script that would have been a good short film because it, it, there wasn't a single scene that had action and suspense and emotion and all these things happening. So I just said, let me just take a, a chunk of the, of the feature script and just sort of reimagine it as a short film which I did, and then after the short film was done, I realized that it promised a much better film than, than the feature script was in the first place. So then I completely rewrote the feature script along the lines of the short film. So it's been a long process, and, and it's been a lot of work, but I think it all uh, made me a, a better filmmaker. As of now, how far along are you in eventually turning Skyfighter into the full-length feature film that you hope to do? And will there be another crowdfunding campaign for that? No, <laughs> no, no more, no more crowdfunding. That is a ton of work, and it, you really feel like you wear out your welcome with people. Um, no, that's like a full-time job. No, uh, we, I have, I'm very lucky. I have a financier interested, and they have been willing to make uh, offers to actors who would be significant enough to justify the, the budget of the feature film. So presently, we have an offer into an actor. This is the third time we've done this and we're waiting to hear yes or no, and then if one of them eventually says yes, then we go ahead and make the movie. Talk about the main characters that you came up with for Skyfighter. The characters in the short film, one of them's a guy and one of them's a woman, and um, one of them is cybernetically enhanced, and that's the, the guy, and then the woman is not. So they have different perspectives because <clears throat> the guy is reliant upon this computer in his head, and when he gets hacked, he can't be sure if his memories are his own memories, whereas the woman is saying, I'm, uh, I'm all natural, so you know I haven't been hacked, so you've got to listen to me. <clears throat> so it's sort of a cautionary tale about technology and also about the effect of memory and how our emotions are from, uh, from our own memories. And, and uh, it comes down to who, who do you believe, the voice in your head or the person next to you? And so it's a bit of a whodunit in that sense. 
and hopefully a suspense piece and a mystery that by the time of the end you realize uh, what's the truth and you realize why and then as soon as you realize it, it's over because you don't want to wear out your welcome. Talk about the actors that you have involved in this film. It's Tom Madden is uh, starring as John and Jess Gabor as Mo. And then we also have Eric Palladino, who people will recognize. He's in uh, the, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel right now. He plays a, plays a gangster in that. And he played the, uh, the sort of father image in a memory flashback. And uh, he, was, he, was, he was very fun to, to work with and to hang out with. And, and it was a, I'm a first-time director. It was all a learning experience for me. And it was a, a real sort of sink or swim uh, moment to try and get performances out of people I didn't know because we didn't do any auditions. And in fact, I only met Jessica Bohr that morning when she showed up. We hired her at the last minute. So it was it was kind of nerve-wracking that we weren't cast until the last minute, but it's just sometimes how these things go. Technology plays a major role in Skyfighter as evidenced by the visual effects and the interior design of the spaceship. How were those elements constructed for the film? The spaceship set is a standing set at a, a place called Laurel Canyon Stages in North Hollywood. And if you know sci-fi, like low-budget sci-fi, you've seen that set a million times. And we did a lot of work to to dress it, but because of the nature of it, it's sort of like an alien ripoff set. It kind of had to be in that retro look. It kind of had to have that retro feel to it. So we just did the best we could, and, and I thought the production designer and the DP did a, a brilliant job making it so visually interesting and putting practical lights in there. Uh, but it has a, a very tactile retro feel uh, the production designer found this really cool mechanism for the for the missile launcher that, that she uses. And I still don't know what it was, but it has a really cool look to it. And then as far as the visual effects, I think my priority was making the visual effects be clear to the audience. You needed to know what you were looking at and, and what these consoles were trying to explain, these holograms. So I kept on having them... I wanted them to be as simple as, as possible, even to the point where they they might be they might almost look like a retro Nintendo displays, but you needed to know where the threat was, what the guys were doing, and you needed to know it very quickly. So I think um, what do they say? Form form follows function in the, in that sense. Overall, what was the production process like for Skyfighter? There was around. Four to six weeks of prep and only two or three of, of really active prep. And then we shot for two days over a weekend at that spaceship set. And then a couple of weeks later, we went up into the hills, into the mountains and shot the flashback stuff. Uh, and then there was um, around a month of editing. And then another three or four months of the visual effects because I... I had originally, there was another firm I was going to use and that didn't work out. And then Tobias wasn't available right away. So I had to wait. And then uh, it was, it cost a lot of money for Tobias because there was like a hundred shots and he gave me a really good rate, but it's still a lot of work and he could only do so many shots a day. And then we realized we often, we needed some more shots because there were some angles where we didn't expect the hologram to be visible. And then it was hologram. It was visible. So we had to go back and add it. So it took, um, yeah, it took like six months to make, to make 15 minutes, which was pretty, pretty humbling. 
You mentioned this earlier, the community of film music fans who populate the Film School Monthly website is tremendous, as you know, and you talked about how they were instrumental in helping to raise funds for production of Skyfighter. What other ways did their support make production of the film possible? Well, it was their money. <laughs> it was their, uh, they paid for it. I don't really think I... Um, let's see. So there was a guy named Scott Saslow who ended up volunteering. He's a very talented graphic designer, and he volunteered to do the decals, the, the signage inside the spaceship. So he worked on the film, and then he did our poster. So that was very fortunate that I met him through the through Film Score Monthly. And then I had some of my long time, let's see, my my art director, Joe Sikoriak, from Film Score Monthly did the, the, the credits. So I, I worked with some people from my past career, but I don't think it was too interactive with the donors. They so they were they were great. Look, they gave me they gave me a shot, and that's all you can ask for. And it was very generous of them, and, and uh, they're my peeps, so I love them. Talk about the behind-the-scenes crew you work with on the film, including the people who were responsible for the visual effects. Well, I was very lucky because at my college reunion a couple of years ago, I met um, a very talented cinematographer, Dan Marks. And he's 10 years younger than I am, so we were at the same reunion at the same time, and we stayed in touch, and I... and he liked this project and wanted to shoot it. And I said, great. And he at the time had a, a small production company and he had a production partner who was like the line producer, Levi Smock. So they, they wanted to make this. And, and so I was very lucky because I know nothing about or very little about physical production. So basically Levi and Dan hired the crew and they got a great production designer, Ben Ralston, and you know they hired the sound recordist, and uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm blanking on on all this now because it was, I was it, it's like this sort of symphony, and I'm the idiot guest conductor. So, but I, I do need to thank them because they found everybody. And then for the casting part, I wanted to work with Christine Sheeks, who I'd worked with before, um, because she and I have very similar taste and and in actors and. Uh, and so we did. And so she found the cast. And then for post, I think I sort of found people on my own because I had pre-existing relationships and I knew the editor, Rob Burnett, and I knew the sound, uh, the sound guys, uh, Private Island Audio. So that, that's sort of how it came together. And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm not mentioning by name everybody else who worked on the movie, but I, I, I do hope people watch the credits and I, and I do want to thank them for all for their very good work. Uh, the, video, the visual effects firm is a, uh, they're in Germany and it's an artist named Tobias Richter and his company is called The Lightworks and they're, they're pretty small. And I knew them because our editor, uh, Rob Burnett, had worked with them on a Star Trek fan film project that is, is a whole, you should do a podcast on that. Um, it never happened, but that's a crazy story. So he knew them, and they they specialize in space work, and and they're terrific. And I never even spoke to Tobias; it was all over email. And I would just send them memos, and I would send them sketches, and they would send me shots. And then I'd I would like do a screen cap and print it out, and take a marker, and I'd make draw arrows and say, make this a little bigger, or make this a little smaller, and and that's how the communication worked. I, I definitely got a an appreciation for the subtleties of these visual effects. And I don't think people 
we take them for granted because they're so amazing now. But I, I think that's one of the things that I really learned in every aspect of making this movie, from the music to the performances to the editing. If something's just a split second off, or if the emotion is just a little bit wrong, uh, it's it's unrecoverable. It's not just bad. It's just like you're you're gone. You know, as the audience, it just it's so fake and so wrong that you just lose it. So to to have a film go from start to finish without any of those those mistakes is uh, it's a it's a ton of work, and I, I really have all the um, even more respect for the people who do it. Knowing how passionate and knowledgeable you are about film music and the role it plays in boosting what happens on screen, what did you want the score for Sky Fighter to convey, both from an emotional and a narrative perspective? Well, for the score, I wanted. I did want to do something that was uh, a little, ret uh, well, yeah, not a little, but retro-electronic, but I wanted a specific kind of electronic score from some early 80s movies that I, that I really liked, the music, uh, Blue Thunder, 2010, Runaway. It was sort of a short-lived period of synthesizers where some composers were doing synthesizer scores, but they were still thinking orchestrally. And it's a different kind of music compositionally than, than the Stranger Things kind of Tangerine Dream score, which is more pop-based and more based on pedal points. Uh, so I wanted to try and use the music to make the, the film distinctive. And I think we did that. And then I didn't really realize it until we were done with the music, but I wanted to play with the audience's expectations in that we score, the score is actually kind of backwards in the film, which is that the, uh, so our main character is trying to figure out what's real and what's not, what's his friend and what's his danger. And we score the actual friend with very menacing music and we score the actual danger with very pleasant music. So it's kind of backwards because it's, it's scoring his perceptions being skewed. So, the music is actively misdirecting the audience, and I think it, I think it works, and it, it adds to the payoff. Uh, I, I have heard that the music's a little bit abrasive, and that was a little intentional, so I think I'm, it's one of the things that I, was, I had to, to face, which is that as a film music fan, I, I like really bold and imaginative music, and that's what we tried to do, the composer Bobby Villarreal and, and, and I, and uh, I think... He gave, he gave me the score I wanted, and I'm thrilled with it. Uh, but it was um, a risky part of the creative uh, calculus because people aren't always used to music that's different. And I did not want something scored the way I think most things are scored now. I actually wanted themes and sounds and 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 a and a and a sound world that that a palette that that you got to learn. Uh, that stayed with you. I didn't want every moment to be different, and I didn't want things that were just sort of noisy or, or padding. I, I wanted the music to have a boldness to it. With your needs for the film score in mind, how did you go about finding the right composer to score Sky Fighter, and what was it like working with him on this project? Okay. I will tell you the entire story, which um, it does not reflect well on me because I made a mistake. So it's public knowledge that when I was crowdsourcing, I told everybody Ron Jones was going to score the film, and he's a, a composer very well known to the fans from Star Trek and Family Guy. 
And Ron and I started to work together, and I blew it. Um, for one thing, Ron had a, he only had a narrow window before he had to do some other obligations. And we weren't done editing, so his schedule just got like crunched. And then I didn't realize exactly how much input I wanted to have as a director. And I kind of did a bait and switch on him. And I said, oh, Ron, I love you. Do whatever you want. And then he did. And then I was like, wait, this isn't what I want at all. And by that time, we had like run out of time. And, uh, and it's my fault. So we just sort of said, okay, this is not going to work out. And I need to go look for another composer. And um, I'm not going to tell the complete story, but I ended up meeting... Um, sort of through mutual acquaintances, Bobby Villarreal, and I didn't know him at all, and he liked the short, and he did a demo for it, which ended up being the flashback music, which is my favorite music. And we just had the, uh, he, 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 was, he was really into what I wanted to do, and, um, and I warned him, I said, look, I, uh, I'm gonna be very hands-on, and he said, great, I love that. So he's, he really has a great collaborative personality and uh, he, you know, he wrote the music, but many ways, we we did we did do it together, and uh, in the sense that sort of moment by moment. Uh, well, I should say I don't use a temp track. I don't like temp tracks, and I, I meaning putting temporary music, a temp score in the picture. I I don't like that because I think it turns into like a zombie score that eats your brain, and then you get used to it. So we didn't have a temp score, so I was kind of like the human temp score where I'd be going, okay, right here is where it needs to change. And he's like, well, where do you want that change? And I was like, right here. And he's like, oh, okay, I get it. And so it was very much like I, would, I was sort of narrating as the director what, what I thought the music should do. And sometimes I was wrong and sometimes I was right. And and it was a it was a it was a really great learning process, and I'm very happy with the score. And I, I would definitely like to work with Bobby on the feature. And um, yeah, it was it was um, it was it was it, it was intense. It was challenging because we were both struggling to create something that didn't exist. And when you do that, you you risk going down the wrong road, and you have to correct yourself and come back and. And I, but I felt very uh, confident in Bobby that when when I started to go astray, he would say, uh, "I don't think that's going to work." And then when he was like, "I don't quite understand what you want," I could say, uh, tr "Try the third above." Like I could actually be specifically musical, and he go, "Oh, okay, you know that's that's not what you want, but I understand now what's going to work." So it was fun, and I, I, I uh, <clears throat> yeah, learned a lot. a lot, hard work, but it was fun. Describe how Bobby's score not only hit all the dramatic beats required for Skyfighter, but also how it conveyed the emotional experiences of its characters. Well, as I mentioned before, the score is kind of backwards emotionally, so it's very pleasant for the flashback music, and then for the scenes inside the ship when our main character is become, becoming suspicious of his colleague, it, the music is becoming very uh, obsessive and even a little bit grating because I wanted that sense of an alien presence and of a kind of stalking, nightmarish alien force that you can't quite 
fight, but that is that is creeping up on you and not going to let you go. So, so those were the, the emotions that we were working with, and um, and then a lot of it was just about sculpting the tempo and the pacing and trying to trying to make sure the audience knew at every moment what is important, and that's. I think really where a director and a composer need to communicate because you need to make sure you're on the same page that in this moment, there are just so many little things. It's like, if something happens, am I scoring the thing happening or are we scoring the, the character's reaction? So is it the character's reaction to the thing that just happened because they're not the same thing and they don't happen at the same time. So I definitely have a great appreciation for these, these subtleties having gone through the process. Will there be a soundtrack release for that score? Yeah, I in fact I, I it's a it's an obligation I made to my donors to press up a CD and then a Blu-ray of the film and then we'll send it to all the donors who qualified for it with their donations and then they'll also probably sell the leftover copies. Finally, as a filmmaker, what do you want people to take away from watching Skyfighter? I want them to take away that I'm a really good filmmaker and I should have a great career. Chris, that's the truth. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> no, I, really, I want, I want people to, to say, well, okay, wow, that was entertaining, and that told a story, and that was clear, and that was engaging, and that had some ideas, and that was emotional. You, you want people to be entertained, and you want them to think, too. And then as far as, where, uh, as, far as my career, I want people to think, okay, that guy knows how to direct actors, and he knows how to handle visual effects, and he knows how to to handle storytelling. So it's a demo. It's a demo for me and my career, and, and I hope people like it. Well, from the early cut that I saw of the film, I definitely enjoyed it, and you did a great job with it, as did everybody involved in the production of Skyfighter, and I wish you nothing but success with it going forward. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on the Viewfinder podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Lucas Kendall is the writer-director of the outstanding sci-fi short film, Skyfighter, which, as I mentioned earlier, you can now see exclusively on the YouTube channel, Dust. A link to watch the film on that platform is included in the show notes. You can follow the Viewfinder podcast on Twitter at ViewfinderPod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheViewfinderPodcast. Till next time, I'm Chris Hadley. Thanks for listening.